you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, September 8th, 2021, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we recap an Orioles victory from Tuesday night as they beat the Royals 7-3 to even the four-game series at one game apiece. I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' victory at Camden Yards, having to do with the starting pitcher, Alex Wells, uh, some of the other pitchers who came into the game, some of the hitting performances, and uh, one of those pitching performances does include a major league debut that we'll get to. But that's going to be our second segment on the pod. As Mike Bauman came up to make his Major League debut and pitched gloriously in relief for the Orioles on Tuesday, we'll break down him coming to the bigs and what his role could be moving forward. And then we'll talk about the other flurry of roster moves that the Orioles made along with the Bauman promotion before Tuesday's game. Then at the end of the pod, we'll get you ready for game three of four tonight between the Orioles and the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But that and more is all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast which is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me every single week to talk Orioles and get in on the action at Spotify Greenroom, changing the way we talk sports. So we start today with an Orioles victory. They beat the Royals 7-3 on Tuesday night at Camden Yards, tying the four-game series up at one game apiece. With the victory, Orioles now 44-93 on the season. We're going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 7-3 victory over Kansas City. And the first thing is Alexander Wells returned back to the Major League rotation, got the start on Tuesday night, and he was, simply put, he was okay for the Orioles. Left a lot to be desired, but had some good moments as well. Wells' final line with the start, four innings, two runs on five hits, two strikeouts, two walks, a home run allowed. It took him 80 pitches to get through the four innings. He has a 7.15 ERA on the season. Now, the one home run allowed by Alex Wells came in the top of the fourth off of Carlos Santana, who hit a solo shot, uh, which made it a 6-2 ball game at the time. It was nice that the Orioles got him a big lead. I mean, they put up four runs in the first inning for him after he uh, put up a zero in the top of the first. And so if you're Alex Wells, you probably felt pretty good throughout the game. You had a, a fairly sizable lead most of the time you were out there. In terms of his pitching, you know, seven whiffs, seven swings and misses on 80 pitches uh, he got two with the fastball, one with a curve, one with a change, and three with the slider. And I got to say, the slider was probably his most effective pitch, although he didn't really throw it too, too much in this one. We saw mostly fastballs, as you'll see from most pitchers. Only 40%, though, from Alex Wells. He threw 32 fastballs. Uh, they averaged about 89.7 miles per hour, which is actually a little bit up from his yearly average, which is about 88.7. Uh, he maxed out at 90-91, uh, hit 91 a couple of times with the fastball. Then he threw 24 curveballs, which is kind of a, a get-me-over pitch for Alex Wells. He had five called strikes on that pitch, which is the most of any pitch for him. You know, it's a big, loopy, 74-mile-per-hour curveball. Then he threw 12 change-ups, and he threw 12 sliders. But those 12 sliders were super effective. He got three swings and misses. He got two called strikes on that pitch. He got some foul balls. He got him to put the ball in play weekly. I think that slider is going to be a pitch that works for Wells. And weirdly enough for Wells, you know, that's, you know his fastball's kind of 89-90. That slider is kind of 83-84 when he throws it. So there's not a giant difference in velocity. And it's not a big sweeping slider. It's It's got a shorter break. 
he kind of can have success sometimes up in the zone with a slider, especially to lefties, which is not a place you're usually going to put that pitch, but it sometimes can work for him just because he's not afraid to work up in the zone, even though he's only throwing sometimes 89 miles an hour, you know, 90 miles an hour with a four-seam fastball. He's not afraid to work up in the zone with that pitch. You know, in fact, his first strikeout of the day uh, ended the first inning on a high fastball uh, that he got Alberto Mondesi to swing and miss at. Even though he's throwing 90, he knows he has spin on that fastball. He can work it up in the zone. He's not afraid to throw up in the zone with any of his pitches, and it could be to his detriment at times, but it does seem to work out some for Alexander Wells. Again, it was okay. You'd obviously want him to get through more than just four innings in the game, but still some positives and, again, some, some negatives as well in that start. Obviously, you'd like more strikeouts, and uh, you'd like to just have the, the pitches be a little more efficient. And again, you know, he continues this stretch of, you know, he has these incredible, incredible walk numbers at AAA where he doesn't walk anybody. And again, he only walked two batters in this one, but over four innings. And, you know, he threw a lot of pitches, wasn't as efficient as he usually is. Still seems like some of the maybe major, major league jitters, major league strike zone, major league hitters, kind of still getting to it, and he's still settling in. But I think he at least has earned a, a couple more starts here down the stretch. Second thing you need to know from the Orioles' 7-3 win over the Royals is that Austin Hayes stayed red hot in the ballgame on Tuesday night. Hayes with a 1-for-3 with a home run and three RBIs on the day. His average up to 252. His OPS up to 737 now on the season for Hayes, who clobbered a two-run home run in the bottom of the third off of a Royal starter, Jackson Coar, uh, which gave the Orioles a 6-1 to lead at the time. Also had an RBI in the first inning, came up uh, with runners on first and third, one out, hit a high chopper to shortstop, almost beat it out for an infield single, ended up being an RBI ground out uh, to put the Orioles up 3-0 at the time. So he ended up with a three-RBI day, and the home run gives Austin Hayes now a 14-game hitting streak. And he has really been swinging the bat extremely well lately for the Orioles. He had a fantastic month of August, uh, which we talked about here on this podcast. You know, the average up at 274, you know, the OPS up over 730. In September, he's been way better. Now, obviously, you know, fairly small sample size in the month of September, only six games for him, but in those six games, he is 8-4-25 at the dish, hitting 320, 370 on base. He's got a 970 OPS. He's got two home runs in this month at the dish, and uh, you know he's still being Austin Hayes, four strikeouts, just one walk, but the bat is looking much better. Good August, even better September. This would be huge for Austin Hayes. Keep this hitting streak up, turn a good August into an even better full month of September to finish out this season, and then, you know, I know Mullins had the great year, and there's outfielders, you know, stirring in the system. This puts Hayes, although, you know, either way, he is the starting, you know, left or right fielder going into 2022 for the Orioles. A good September after a pretty good August puts him in much better standing moving forward, heading into next season. Third thing you need to know from the Orioles' victory is that DJ Stewart finally went yard again. Stewart with a two-run homer in the bottom of the first inning that put the Orioles up 4 nothing against Jackson Coar. It was his only hit. He was one for four. He also did strike out twice, so he didn't do much elsewhere besides that home run. But the Orioles' 27-year-old hit his 12th home run of the season with that blast, and frankly, it had been a while uh, for DJ Stewart since he had hit a home run, and that's why 
that homer was so important. His last home run came on August 25th, and his last one before that came all the way back on August 12th when he had the two home runs. And, uh, you know, September has been good to him for Stewart, but it hasn't been much of a sample size. I mean, he's he's three for 11 with the home run, which is all right, but he's just not getting regular playing time because Hayes has been so good, Mullins has been so good, and they're trying to get Santander, you know, with the injuries he's had, you know, a, a bigger spell of at bat so he's playing every day as well in the outfield you got Mancini and Mountcastle first base DH and Stewart is being phased out and there is a huge offseason coming for DJ Stewart we've talked about it time and time again I think he's on the outside looking in in terms of the roster I don't think he is a major league Oriole in 2022 he's going to have to turn things on in September to change people's minds this is at least a good start for Stewart uh, who had a screaming line drive out to right center field for a two-run homer Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' victory is that Tyler Wells signed, sealed, delivered as the Orioles' closer for the rest of the season. And now, I know he didn't get a save on Tuesday night because he came into the game. It was 7-3 to three in the ninth inning, so a four-run lead, not a save situation. But he made extremely quick work of the Royals, 1-2-3 in the top of the ninth inning. Also had a strikeout just through 12 pitches. And, you know, he is the guy right now. A Rule 5 pick to the Orioles' closer and their most trustworthy reliever he went out there six sliders six fastballs in the 12 pitches got a couple of whiffs was in the strike zone you know the fastball was right around 96 97 he touched 98 and uh you know he threw a good slider up there that he was okay with throwing six times as well and it's looking good for Tyler Wells he's going to be the closer down the stretch but I don't think that just means they're going to wait for the ninth for a safe situation to use him I say closer maybe in the 2021 sense of the word. That is, yes, he'll get some saves down the stretch, but more like he is the Orioles' number one high-leverage reliever, it seems like, as well. And Cole Solcer is still in that spot for the O's, too. But, you know, if Tyler Wells sees a spot or Brandon Hyde sees a spot, maybe two on, one out in the eighth inning, middle of the order's coming up, he's going to go to Wells. He's not going to wait for the save situation in the ninth because Tyler Wells right now is his best reliever. What a find this was by Michael Elias and staff in the Rule 5 draft. I'm not even ruling out the fact that Wells, you know, could turn into a starter in the future, which he was all of the minor leagues. Maybe the Orioles mold him back into a starter this offseason, but he's been a dominant reliever. I'd love to see him at the back end of the pen for years to come. And, you know, he's been one of the few, you know, huge surprises of this season. And Tyler Wells, he has that mold down. Paul Fry getting option. You know, Cole Salser struggling a little bit more lately. Tanner Scott struggling with the strike zone. Tyler Wells, unquestionably the Orioles' top reliever at the time. But the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 7-3 win over the Royals is about another reliever in last night's game. That was Mike Bauman, who made his Major League debut after being called up on Tuesday afternoon. He was fantastic. Bauman's final line, three and two-thirds, one run, but it was unearned on two hits, one strikeout, and one walk. He threw 46 pitches and has a 0.00 ERA on the season and in his Major League career. And coming up after the break, we are going to talk about Mike Bauman, break down this Major League debut even further, take a look at what he's done at the minors, why he deserved this call-up, and we'll take a look at the other flurry of roster moves that the Orioles made along with Bauman before Tuesday's game. That's coming up after the break. So we'll get to breaking down Mike Bauman's Major League debut in just a second, but first, this episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Spotify Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. 
I'll be hosting rooms for Locked On Orioles once a week. Yes, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. Green Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Spotify Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the big news or rumors. So go download the free Spotify Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. And follow me at Connor Newcomb to be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning to be live this week and every week. And I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Orioles. See you there at Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Stat Hero. Did you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You really don't stand a chance. But introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name the stakes and it's winner take all. I feel like when I play daily fantasy sports, you know, I can just never win. There's too many people who do this for a living. But now with Stat Hero, you have a chance to win. So go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now, you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. One more time, that's stathero.com slash locked on. So the Orioles have been giving some chances to a lot of young pitchers recently, and the latest chance went to Big Mike Bauman, as he was called up from AAA Norfolk before Tuesday's game and uh, set to make his major league debut. Bauman, a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, ranked number 10 in the system by MLB Pipeline. He's been as high as number 7 before in this Orioles system, and uh, finally he gets his call to the major leagues. Now, the story on Bauman, a 25-year-old right-handed pitcher, six foot four, who the Orioles drafted in the third round of the 2017 draft out of Jacksonville, a Minnesota native uh, who went to college in Jacksonville. He was college teammates with Austin Hayes, who also played for the Dolphins, and then uh, was drafted by the Dan Duquette regime back in 2017 and he had a lot of success in the minors. He basically went right to short season Aberdeen and was dominant uh, in nine starts there, had a 1-3-1 ERA after getting drafted in 2017. 2018, he made seven starts at Delmarva, literally got everyone out, moved him up to Frederick, and then he made 17 starts in Frederick, had a 3-8-8 ERA. Then in 2019, again, started in Frederick, 11 good starts, and he finished that 2019 season on that fantastic Bowie Bay Sox team where he made 11 starts and had a 2-3-1 ERA in 70 innings down the stretch for the Bay Sox, including two complete games in that stretch as well. And then, you know, of course, he had the canceled minor league season. He was at the alternate site with the Orioles in all of 2020. And then in 2021, you know, he he's dealt with some injury issues, missed a lot of the first part of the season, but he came back. He made two good rehab starts in Delmarva. He went to Bowie, 10 starts in Bowie for Mike Bauman, a 4.89 ERA, but the strikeout numbers did look good, 39 in 39 innings. So they moved him up to Norfolk, and at Norfolk, he just dominated. He made six starts for the AAA Norfolk Tides, had a 2.00 ERA in 27 innings. He allowed just six runs on 18 hits, struck out 26 and walked 13. And the Orioles gave him the call before Tuesday's game. But the thing was, they called him up. He's been a starting pitcher his whole life. But there's always been this talk about 
about Bauman and his stuff, you know, the plus fastball and the breaking stuff that he likes to use, you know, would he project more so as a high leverage reliever rather than a starter at the major league level? And that's always been the conversation surrounding Bauman. And so the Orioles called him up actually with not a start to make. They called him up Tuesday, didn't put him right in the rotation, said he will start out of the bullpen. So we didn't really know when he would make his major league debut. Well, after Alexander Wells, you know, kind of labored his way through four innings in his start on Tuesday, and the Orioles had a 6-2 to two lead heading into the fifth against the Royals, it was Bauman's time. He made his major league debut in the fifth inning on Tuesday night with his family in the stands. And again, as I mentioned before, it was a good outing. Three and two-thirds, one unearned run on two hits, one strikeout, one walk, 46 pitches thrown for Mike Bauman. But wanted to look deeper into that first major league appearance because, one, it was good that he you know came in with a big league, came in the fifth. It's a 6-2 to two game. You're facing a Royals offense that hasn't been great this year and you know obviously a team with a losing record, not a playoff team, so that helps as well. But but for Bauman, he just attacked hitters, and there's still some good bats in this lineup. You got guys like Salvador Perez, who's just mashing the baseball right now. Is now second in the league in home runs. Whit Merrifield, you know, leads off this lineup. You've got a guy like Carlos Santana and Andrew Benintendi, two good veteran major league hitters, and he just kind of attacked all these guys as he went through the lineup more than once as well. And for Bauman, again, 46 pitches. And the breakdown was, you know, he went to that fastball a lot. And I think that's what we knew he would do. He threw 25 fastballs. It's about 54% of the time. And, you know, it's it's a fastball with a good amount of spin. It's it's not it's not a two-seamer. It's a true four-seam fastball. And he averaged about 94 miles an hour. He, he was up there at 95 a few times, not much higher than that. 95.3 miles an hour was the max velocity on the fastball for Bauman, but it was a pretty good pitch. He got four whiffs on that fastball. He got three called strikes. He was kind of a little too much in the middle of the plate, I will say, and he did get lucky. There were a couple, I believe there were actually three fly balls that ended on the warning track or maybe just in front of the warning track, so he did get a little lucky, although in Camden Yards, one of the more hitter-friendly ballparks, there are probably flyouts, most other parks as well, but that was kind of his pitch he went to. And, you know, it was enough to get hitters out. And then the number two pitch, as we've always known, was the slider. He threw 16 sliders. That was about 35% of the time. He got, you know, one whiff on that pitch, one called strike. It sat around 90 miles an hour, which is really interesting. And kind of the flux in terms of the velocity of the slider was really interesting because his slowest slider was at 87.2 miles an hour. His fastest slider was at 91.8 miles an hour, and the average was 90 miles an hour on that slider. So it's a good hard slider. And that's why a lot of the talk is, will he be a reliever moving forward? Because you look at what he threw, 25 fastballs, 16 sliders. That accounted for 41 of his 46 pitches. He tossed in three curveballs and two changeups to go along with it, which have been very, very secondary pitches for him throughout his career. He did get one called strike on the curveball, threw a couple of changeups that were out of the zone, not very competitive pitches. They were right around 87, 88, the curveball was uh, right around 81, 82 on the day. And, uh, you know, that's why the talk is about the reliever, because really he has two really good pitches, that four-seam fastball and that slider. And he has the curve and the change, but they've never really been go-to pitches at all for him. And when you look at a guy with just fastball slider, with a high-velocity fastball, with the way he pitches on the mound, you see reliever at the major league level. You don't see starters, not a lot of two-pitch starters. You see reliever, and that's where I think a lot of this comes from, and it was interesting that we saw exactly that in his first appearance. While it was in relief, 
he did go three and two thirds, so he was extended out and did still have success, only allowing that one unearned run, which actually scored after he had left the game. Orioles made a couple errors with two outs in the eighth after Dylan Tate had replaced him, and a run scored on one of those errors. Uh, but Tate did a good job getting out of a bases loaded jam with a strikeout in that inning. But overall, good from Bauman. You know, fastball. He trusted it through strikes. He attacked hitters, used that slider when he needed to. Now, again, you know, he only had the one strikeout on the day. It came on a uh, a nice fastball at 95. I think it was the hardest pitch he threw on the day. He got the strikeout, got a swing and miss to a righty on a fastball, dotted on the inside corner. That was his only K, but again, only one walk, and it came to one of the last batters that he faced. You could tell he was just a little bit, you know, running out of gas, or maybe the fumes and the uh, adrenaline of the major league debut had died down a bit. But overall, I like it. And this is actually something I'd maybe like to see going forward with him and Alex Wells. You know, we talked about this uh, on a couple of, of previous episodes. You have so many of these starters who you're bringing up and trying to give a chance. Wells and Lowther and Aiken and and Bauman now. And you, we might see Dean Kramer finally come back to the major leagues, among others. Maybe you start to piggyback these guys so you can still get, you know, the Means and the Harveys their true starts. Maybe you piggyback these guys. I wouldn't mind seeing Wells and Bauman piggyback, you know, four or five from Wells, three or four from Bauman, and hope you can get through some games. And I think it could work out like it did on Tuesday night. But of course, with Mike Bauman coming to the big leagues, the Orioles had to make some moves. And it wasn't just a one-for-one Bauman up somebody down. They did make a flurry of moves on Tuesday afternoon before the game. And first, the reason why Bauman even came up and the reason why the Orioles needed a pitcher is because Jorge Lopez was placed on the 10-day injured list. Now, we talked about this on yesterday's episode. He went down really awkwardly in Monday's loss to the Royals uh, on the first batter he faced. Came out of the bullpen in the seventh inning on Monday uh, on a 1-1 pitch, got a ground ball to first. Mountcastle fielded it. Lopez went over to cover. He caught the ball, stepped on the bag for the out, and you could tell immediately when he stepped on the bag, he turned his ankle badly, went down, was in a lot of pain, had to be helped off the field, left the game after just one batter and we talked about you know if it was a bad ankle sprain he could be done for the year well Brandon Hyde did say it is a right ankle sprain he's on the 10-day injured list but it doesn't look great and it does look like things are pointing right now to Jorge Lopez probably being out for the rest of the season now it's nothing that would you know keep him out of spring training in 2022 or anything like that but the year is done it looks like unless you know he has some great recovery for Jorge Lopez and that is really tough to swallow because you know it's been such an interesting year for Lopez and a tough year many times but we were just getting to see what he could do out of the bullpen the Orioles just moved the 28 year old right-hander into the bullpen course overall this year 25 starts and eight relief appearances and he's got a 607 ERA and 121 and two-thirds innings pitched on the year but we really wanted to see him out of the pen, frankly. You know, he's got 112 strikeouts, 56 walks, 21 home runs allowed in those 121 and two-thirds innings. But since he's been moved to the bullpen, we've kind of liked what we saw. You know, the velocity has gone up to 96, 97, 98 at times. He's got more break on some of those pitches since the Orioles moved him into the bullpen. And at the end of the day, you know, he ended up making eight relief appearances and he was pretty good. You know, he only allowed two earned runs in those eight appearances. He had some solid strikeout numbers uh, in that time. He had 10 strikeouts in the eight appearances. I liked what I saw from Jorge Lopez out of the pen, and it looks like we're going to have to wait 
until 2022 to see him out of the bullpen again. Now, I don't see the Orioles moving on from him in any kind of 40-man roster crunch. I think they're going to hold on to him, and I think he's going to come into spring training as a relief pitcher. That will be the new role for Lopez next year, and it will be interesting to see, but just a real bummer with everything he's gone through this year, the rough starting, going to the bullpen, having it go well, but everything with the health issues that his son has gone through, and it's, it's really taken a toll on Lopez, and so we wish him the best, and hopefully a speedy recovery for him from this ankle injury. Now, those were the only moves the Orioles really had to make if they wanted to because Bauman was already on the 40-man roster, so he didn't have to be added. He could just be called up. You put Lopez on the IL. But they did make two other moves, and the first one was they called up Manny Barreda, the right-handed pitcher, up from AAA Norfolk. And Barreda, definitely an interesting story. A 32-year-old, 5'11", right-handed pitcher who uh, played his high school ball in Arizona, a native of Prescott, Arizona, who was a 12th round pick of the New York Yankees out of high school all the way back in 2007. Now, in terms of how Beretta got to Baltimore, he was signed as a minor league free agent by the Orioles back on March 4th of 2021. And for Beretta, it had been a little while since he had pitched in affiliated baseball um, in the minor leagues. He last pitched in the affiliated ball in 2017 when he had a uh, nice little season in AAA with the Braves. Ended up that year uh, splitting the year kind of in AAA, but he did get seven starts and have a 1.83 ERA. But the Orioles brought him back at age 32 in the minors this season. And he essentially spent the whole year with AAA Norfolk, pitching out of the bullpen mostly. But his stats in Norfolk this year, 24 appearances, two games started. He had a 4.08 ERA in this 2021 season. In 35 and a third innings, he allowed 39 hits, 16 runs. He struck out 35 batters, and he walked just 11 on the season. Three home run balls allowed by Manny Barreda. And, you know, it had been pretty solid for him out of the Norfolk bullpen. And the Orioles decided, you know, 32-year-old, he's on a minor league contract. That contract will end at the end of the AAA season. And if you're, you know, the Orioles have given most of these minor league guys a chance. Spencer Watkins, Connor Wade, you know, Mickey Janis got got his chance. Uh, that's just to name a few of the guys who have gotten their chance. Marcos Duplan has turned into a, a you know kind of a nice piece out of the bullpen. Dustin Knight has gotten his chance. So they figure you know why not give Manny Barreda that chance too because he was pitching you know fairly well at AAA. Now you looked what he had done uh, recently for the Norfolk Tides, and August was not a great month for him. He pitched just seven innings and had a seven seven one. ERA in August. He pitched on September 1st uh, out of the Norfolk bullpen, faced one batter and struck him out. And uh, now he is in the big leagues with the Orioles. So we'll see what kind of role he'll pitch in. Obviously, he'll be in the Oriole bullpen. Uh, he's with the wearing the number 84 uniform. Um, we don't know a whole lot about the stuff of Manny Barreda, but you know it'll be interesting to see. He's got good strikeout numbers. Again, 35 Ks in 35 and a third innings. So uh, it remains to be seen what Barreda can do for the Orioles, uh, but it will be interesting to see them give him this shot, and uh, hopefully there's a somewhat of a, probably more of a blowout game or a, a further game in the scoreline where he can come in and pitch. But to make room for him, the Orioles, of course, had to make another move, and they sent Zach Birdie back down to AAA. Birdie, the 26-year-old right-hander who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the White Sox a few weeks ago, former first-round pick of the White Sox in 2016. So Birdie goes down to AAA, 
after making just one appearance for the Orioles. He appeared in Monday's game against the Royals, pitched the top of the ninth inning with the Orioles trailing 3-2. to two. It was a scoreless inning, no hits, one strikeout, and one walk in that inning. Uh, and that was hit for Zach Birdie. He goes back down to AAA. I expect we'll maybe see him back in the majors at some point, but I would think the Orioles want to get him a regular role, let him pitch out of the bullpen in AAA, be one of the key relievers for the Tides for a good chunk of this season. I think he'll come back up. I think he's in the Orioles' plan somewhat because he's got some good stuff, good fastball, former first-round pick. I don't think they want to give up on him just yet, but it was interesting to see him come up for a week, not pitch, pitch once on Monday, and then be sent down in terms of kind of a 32-year-old journeyman in Bereda. So the Orioles must really want to get a look at Bereda. And the other thing was Manny Barreda was not on the 40-man roster, and the Orioles had a full 40-man roster, so they had to make a move there. And the last move made was to transfer Hunter Harvey to the 60-day injured list. Now, Harvey had been on the 10-day IL since July 2nd when he went out with a tricep strain and a lat strain, two different injuries that he's been dealing with basically at the same time. And for Harvey, he had returned from that injury somewhat, at least to you know pitch at the minor league level in rehab assignments and then he had kind of been put basically back into the Norfolk Tides bullpen now it was still kind of called a rehab assignment but it was essentially like he was just pitching out of the bullpen for the Tides uh, for the time being his stats at, at Norfolk this year you know eight games for him 10 innings uh, he'd allowed nine earned runs on 19 hits struck out seven and walked two he'd allowed two home runs it just it wasn't going great for Harvey. You could tell the velocity was was still mostly there, but a little bit down, and he was just getting crushed in the rehab assignments. And now he goes on the 60-day IL, and it doesn't mean his season is necessarily done. You know, he was placed on the IL initially on July 2nd. 60 days from July 2nd is actually August 31st, so we've already passed the 60-day mark. So this was basically a procedural move. Because he's been out for more than 60 days, the Orioles had the option of putting him on the 60-day injured list. And remember, the reason you do that is when a player is placed on the 60-day injured list, he does not count towards your 40-man roster. So once you transfer him to the 10-day to the 60-day, you open up a 40-man spot, which was then given to Manny Barreda so the Orioles could call him up and uh, hopefully make his major league debut soon. So this doesn't mean he's out for another 60 days. He can still return at any time if he's healthy. But for Hunter Harvey, that health does not look good. And I doubt we're going to see him at the major league level again this year. I think there is a chance he could be back pitching for Norfolk at some point here in September out of the bullpen. But, and you know, he should be back in spring training with the Orioles in 2022. But... I'm almost ready to write him off for Hunter Harvey. And maybe he surprises me again. He's still only 26. He still has plenty of time. The Orioles' former 2013 first-round pick. But I think it's done for Hunter Harvey. And maybe he finds success elsewhere. I hope he does. But it just continues to, to look worse for Harvey. Back at the Major League level, one of the guys that replaced Harvey and replaced Birdie is Manny Barreda. Maybe he will make his Major League debut today after Mike Bauman made his Yesterday, the Orioles are bringing up a lot of younger guys. You know, we saw Zach Lowther start, and then we saw, you know, Mike Bauman start. We saw Keegan Aiken start over the weekend. You know, you're seeing Alex Wells start, and you're getting a look at a lot of these young guys. Well, things will flip a bit tonight as Matt Harvey goes back to the mound. We will preview game three of the four-game series between the Royals and Orioles when we come back. 
So we'll get back to the Orioles talk in just a second, but first got to tell you about Built Bar and all of the delicious flavors of protein bars that you can get over at BuiltBar.com. How about mint brownie? How about double chocolate? How about salted caramel? And many, many more. And if you haven't tried all the flavors, order a mixed box over at BuiltBar.com. They will send you two of each of their nine flavors. You can try them all. You can pick a favorite. Maybe they're all your favorite. Either way, you got a lot of Built Bars to enjoy. But here's the thing about Built Bars. You eat them, they taste like a candy bar, but you don't have to feel bad about it because guess what? They're good for you. That's the best part. Most of these bars have 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only about 4 or 5 grams of sugar, and grams of net carbs. And uh, the bar, Built Bar, the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Pretty cool. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So after all those roster moves are done and the Mike Bauman debut is in the books, Orioles right back in action tonight for another 7.05 p.m. Eastern time start against the Kansas City Royals. Game three of four in this series. And uh, for the Royals, they will send Mike Miner to the hill. The veteran left-hander, 33-year-old, will take the hill. He will make his 28th appearance of the season for the Royals. In 152 and two-thirds innings this season, Miner has a 5.25 ERA and 146 strikeouts on the year. His last start came against Cleveland on September 2nd. He lasted five innings in that one, allowing two runs on five hits. He struck out four and did not walk anyone. Miner hasn't been particularly amazing this year, really at any time, but he's kind of been a solid veteran innings eater uh, for this Royals team this season. For Miner, it will be his first appearance of the year against the Orioles, but it will be the eighth of his career. In his career against the O's, he's made seven appearances, four starts. He has a 2.70 ERA in 26 and two-thirds innings. He's been pretty good against Baltimore in his career. O's hope they can uh, turn that around in tonight's game, try and make it two wins in a row. And the you know stretch of youngsters starting games, the Orioles had started four straight rookies on the hill. That will end in this one as Matt Harvey will take the hill for the Orioles. The 32-year-old will make his 28th start of the season, a 6.28 ERA for Harvey this year in 123 and a third innings. He has 93 strikeouts. His last start in Toronto wasn't great on September 1st. Four innings, four runs, six hits, no strikeouts, and one walk. Really did not look great for Matt Harvey 
in that one, but he will face his former team in the Kansas City Royals, who he pitched for the last couple of seasons, and he has faced KC already once this year. Uh, July 18th in Kansas City got the start, and he was pretty good in that one. Six scoreless innings for Matt Harvey in that one, allowed just three hits, had two strikeouts, one walk, and one hit batter. He will hope to replicate that start against the Royals uh, once again in this one and uh, make up for what he did with the Royals in 2020, where he made seven appearances, four starts, and an 11 and two-thirds innings, had an 11.57 ERA when pitching for the Royals in the 2020 season. He uh, showed them how he turned it around against them last time. Another chance to do it tonight. And then we'll be back on the podcast with you here tomorrow. We'll recap game three between the Orioles and the Royals, get you the five things you need to know from that one. We'll get you ready for game four on Thursday. And again, uh, it looks like tomorrow will be the day uh, we continue to look into uh, the MLB draft picks for the Orioles in 2021. So we are almost done getting a look at every single player the Orioles drafted and signed as an undrafted free agent. I believe we've gotten through uh, 18 or 19 of the 25 now. We will keep that going later this week on the pod. But if you're liking the podcast, make sure to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. They make it super easy right on the Apple Podcasts app to give a rating and just a nice little quick review that really helps out the pod, really helps us continue uh, to bring you the content uh, that you love. Again, five days a week, only podcast out there bringing you Orioles content five days a week is right here at Lock on Orioles. Uh, so make sure to leave a rating and a review if you can. Again, it really helps out. But we'll be back on the pod tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.